Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, thank you for listening to another edition of Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. I want to talk about kind of a deep subject today. It's not going to be an easy one to hear, um, but I'm getting a lot of people who are asking questions about when someone dies and what do we do? How do we know the signs? How do we know when they're getting towards that time period? Should we stop feeding them? Things like that. So, you know, we we have really the longest goodbye on the planet. We start grieving when the person gets a diagnosis, but that's just the beginning. And it could go anywhere from six years to 25 years. I mean, we just never know, right? The younger you are, the faster it'll go. We've talked about that on other shows. But, you know, the dying process is... Not really for the faint of heart. I mean, it's it's tough. It can cause a lot of family problems when people don't realize that someone might aspirate, meaning they're swallowing air, they're sucking food down their throat too fast. When they're getting to the point where they can't swallow, that's a difficult time. And what do we do? How do we recognize it? You know, sometimes it seems like it's kind of invisible. Do you need to prepare? How do you start moving down that last chapter with someone? Do you want to be there for that? Is that when you need to make a decision to have them in a nursing home or skilled nursing or something like that? Hire home care to come in? You know, we have so many mixed emotions when someone is dying. And I hope that at that point in time, you have everything together that you want. You've got your memorial service planned. You might have your music ready like me. You might have a list of friends you would like to have contacted. You might want to participate in writing your own obituary. Those are things you really ought to do in the early stage because you may not have the presence of mind to do it when time starts slipping away, when you're having aphasia and you can't speak. Because when it gets to the point where you're in the dying process, you're sleeping a lot more and you may not have the chance to say the things that you want to say or do the things that you want to do. 
I've recommended many, many times for people to use the Dragon Nuance uh, speaking apparatus. It's an app that you can buy that you can speak right into and it types your words on a screen. It's very, very helpful for somebody with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. When that person is losing their ability to speak, they are losing their motor skills, they are struggling with walking, with eating, with sleeping, with bathing, with incontinence, they can't go to the bathroom by themselves. If they do, they wipe it on the wall. They don't know you know, where the toilet paper is or anything like that. And those are some of the symptoms that you might see a person getting really wobbly that isn't talking very much, that is incontinent, unable to initiate a conversation. That tells us a lot about where they are in the disease process and how much time they might have left. The reason why this is important is because people say, how do you know when a person is dying? How do you prepare yourself? How do you prepare your home? How do you prepare everything? How do you explore all the, all the options that you have? You know, maybe looking for that assisted living or that nursing home care. These are hard because that's when we have those silly promises that they'll never take you to a nursing facility. But they have to do something to make sure that you're safe and that you're cared for. And caregivers neglect themselves a lot during this time period. They worry with stress. They worry with what they have to do. Uh, they worry about that person's well-being and not their own. And it takes a toll on them physically. You can't wait till the last second to figure out that home care or that assisted living because you want to talk about stress. That's where it all comes. You know, people think that they can just call up a place and see if you can get in. Well, you don't realize that now they're starting to have community fees of thousands and thousands of dollars. If you don't have any money, getting the person on Medicaid uh, could take six months. You may not have six months. So it really is important to do your homework. Decide where you want that person to live. Decide how you want them to live. Decide how much money you have for them to live well with how, what you can provide. Now, what kind of signs might you see when they're starting to deteriorate? Well, that's when they don't recognize themselves. They might look in the mirror and see an old person. They may go back in time and not recognize themselves and, and, and 
it shows in every area. They're talking like they're a kid. They're looking for their mom and dad. Those are some signs that you might see. This is a time when you could play music for them and see if they are more conversive. That happens really in the late, late stages. If you play music, hold their hand, comfort them, sing along with them. Those kinds of things connect you to those people in the late stages. And that's all about preserving the quality of life and their dignity and just being with them where they are at that point in time. And again, if you can use a tape recorder, you can use a video machine, you can try to get them to talk to you to get some, some things out that they want to say or maybe say the things that you want to say are important. And when somebody is in the dying process, something else that happens is they sometimes have a lot of pain. They have pain breathing. They might have a UTI, a urinary tract infection. Um, they could have aches and pains from arthritis. And maybe if they were in pain before, it could be exponentially worse now because they've lost weight. They can feel the barometric pressure more often and more intensely. Um, so look at signs of grimacing, uh, wringing in their hands, posturing really tightly, those kinds of things. And know that if you use pain medicine, that slows the heart down. It causes the blood pressure to drop, and people typically uh, in the very late stage will die if they are on pain medicine for very long. So that is something you should know. When they are in the dying process, sometimes they get really, really shy about you washing them, about you getting them into a bath or shower. They may be, it could just make them freeze. So sometimes we have to use uh, sponge baths and, you know, the dry shampoo and things like that that you could get at an Ulta or um, a lot of different places. You can get it at Walgreens, probably Target, um, a lot of, you know, I see a lot of young people using the dry shampoo these days. We used to use it just for people in nursing homes, and now people are using it on a regular basis. So you could use those kinds of things. Um, they, if they are bedridden or they are difficult to get up and walk with a gait belt, they are a two-person lift to get them into a wheelchair. You may have to figure out ways to bathe them, to keep them clean, to roll them over in bed so they don't get bed sores and sepsis and, and things like that. So these are things to look for. But make sure you get them clean because, boy, that is not fun when somebody gets bed sores. They don't heal easily and can really send somebody into a spiral that, that you don't want. And you don't want to have that happen anyway because if it's uh, an unattended death or something like that, they die and you're not in the room, 
uh, police and the coroner have to come and verify. And if they see bed sores, you could be charged with neglect. So you've got to be careful about things like that. When they're nonverbal, it's super important in the, in the end to maintain a connection with that person. Retain it at all costs if you can. When you walk into a room, try to have some joy, sing, hum, have a happy tone in your voice because that matters when you're with a person. They can hear in the tone of your voice if you are intense or anxious or happy or sad. They can hear it. So it's important for you to keep that tone of voice very simple, quiet, peaceful, so that you can have a good connection with them. It's definitely more important than what you're saying. The way you say it is more important than what you're saying. And going back to the music... Try to figure out what their favorite music was, not yours. It's not about you. It's about them. And music stays with us the longest when somebody has Alzheimer's. We find that medium of music to be such a connective tool, such a, a really strong way to communicate. And it's really nice... When somebody plays the stuff that you want. If you, if you play somebody's music like that, it's good to have it, you know, loud on a, not necessarily loud, but I mean, um, loud enough so they can hear it on a boom box or on your phone or whatever it is. But if you want to try the music therapy to communicate with them, you have to use headphones for the most part. It won't work any other way. But that's not to say that a person who's in the dying process who hasn't said anything in a long time couldn't just start singing with you if you sing an Anne Murray song. That's what my mom did. I was just singing her favorite songs. The Carpenters, Anne Murray, um, Joni Mitchell, stuff like that. And she just opened her eyes and started singing with me. You just never know. One thing that... uh, I thought was funny with my mom is one time when I was feeding her, I was singing her the Bears fight song, Chicago Bears fight song. And she started singing with me a little bit. And uh, she also knew the Cubs fight song, the Go Go Cubs Go. And I would get her to sing that. But then all of a sudden she just become silent. She, she did it and she was done. But for just a second, I saw a glimmer of her. So those are kind of fun things that you can, you know, hope for. And check and see, are they a person who likes to be touched? Can you touch their arm or their hand? If you're rubbing their hand, do they pull it away? Is it annoying to them to have you rub their hand? Or is it something that they like? Could you grab some lotion and maybe rub it on their hand, you know, give them a hand massage and an arm massage and things like that? Some people really, really like things like that. Some people don't. So 
It's important to know these things about that person, and even doing them before they're in the dying process, so it means a little bit more if you do it when they're not. And essential oils and things like that. Um, they say lilac, spearmint, sage, those smells elicit, you know, good, peaceful feelings. So they use them a lot in memory units and things like that. That's something you could do. Use some really good smells, um, you know, spices and, you know, you can take empty spice bottles and stuff like that uh, into the room so they can have those those wonderful aromas. Um, if there was something that they like to do, like watching sports or something, and you can tape, you know, maybe somebody calling a goal or uh, a football game or something like that, or um, say they like to bowl most of their life, and you could record the sound of the bowling alley or birds outside in the morning. It's one of my favorite things. I love to open the door first thing in the morning and listen to birds chirping. Sounds that are beautiful, that are soothing, that are thoughtful, that are are calm. I guess that's a word I'm looking for. Calm, but arousing in some way. That could spark some memories for them that make them more comfortable. And they're not going to, you know, be able to probably open their eyes and go, wow, that's a wonderful sound of the birds outside or that's a wonderful smell of a eucalyptus tree or something like that. Um, strong scents like lemon and strawberry and, and mints, things like that could be really stimulating. But, you know, keep it to a minimum. Don't mix everything up. Use one a day or something like that. Look straight at them when you talk to them. Talk slowly. Be clear about what you're saying. Pay attention to whether or not they're fatigued and tired. Are they paying attention to you? Will they squeeze your hand when you're talking to them? Don't have five people in the room at one time. Don't overload them uh, with too much sensory talking and things like that because that's not comfortable to a lot of people. If they were a very, very outgoing person, maybe hearing people in a room laughing would bring them some joy. You have to know your person. And you know they say that hearing is one of the last things to go. That's why the music is so important. That's why talking to them and singing to them, reading to them, letting them listen to a podcast and things like that are really good because it really is one of the last things to fade. They can relate to sounds like that. It's instinctive. It's it's comforting. It's, you know, it's those things that they've always enjoyed and bringing them back in their their final months, weeks, moments, whatever it is, 
can be super helpful. If your person is Catholic, as an example, um, having somebody come in and perform the rosary on them might be something that makes them feel good. Talking to their priest, you know, whatever it is. That person is still there. The essence of that person is still there. So if you can delve into and tap into their personality and the things they enjoyed, tape kids lapping, dogs barking, um, things like that. They can really help that dying process to be something that is more peaceful and thoughtful all the way around. And for the caregiver itself, yourself, it's okay to feel overwhelmed. Tell somebody, talk it out, hug it out, whatever you need to do. It's not easy to watch somebody that you love die. So give yourself some space for going through that sadness. If you need to cry, you need to cry. Don't beat yourself up. If you're not crying, like I said, this is a very long, drawn-out, progressive process. And by the time somebody gets to this point, you could just be in the I'm over it space. Right? And especially if that person has resisted care or has been uncooperative in any way, shape, or form, those kinds of things can be um, troublesome. They can make you angry. It can make you just not feel good about yourself or the situation. If you can't handle it, ask somebody else to take over. It's important. Don't make that person's last couple of weeks on earth absolutely miserable. And you might even have questions about your own belief system. I have a client who I provide caregivers to, and the woman's husband absolutely believes that God is going to make his wife better and save her. And she is in late-stage Alzheimer's. You may have prayed. You have made, maybe have made deals with God. If you do this, I'll do that. I'll never drink again. I'll never curse again. I'll never whatever, whatever, whatever. I'll never cheat again. Whatever it is, right? Um, and you think... You can deal with that. You can deal with with your higher power, with your God or what have you. Uh, that doesn't generally work very well, to be honest with you. Um, I told somebody that I'm hiring to work with this person with the diagnosis that her husband feels this way and do not try to argue with him or change his mind. It's wasted effort. It is absolutely wasted effort. So think about all the levels of care, um, like hospice and so on and so forth. Don't rush the death. Don't try to stop it. 
medications that alleviate the pain can kind of push it forward. So just be aware of that. We're going to take a short break and we'll come back and continue this conversation about maintaining a connection. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef prepared meals, transportation services and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right. So I'm talking about a heavy subject today about when somebody's in the dying process. And I swear I have been to more memorial services in the last week than I could ever imagine. And what has happened is that people are having the remembrance of life now because their person died in COVID and now people can actually come and attend them. And so when you're doing things like that, I'm going to get back on, you know, where their connections are and things like that. But um, the celebrations of life are not about you. They're about that person and whoever was left behind in the whole mix. And... If there was more trauma, if there was more turbulence in the relationship, the ending process is harder. It's just harder. It's it's really difficult sometimes to deal with the grief and the guilt when you haven't had a good relationship with that person. 
I, I really think that's true. I think that when a person is dying and you're trying to be there for them, but everything's changing, you have to put more attention towards them, you have to to watch, uh, you may want to be there when they're dying, you may want to call people and ask them to come in, you know, town to visit with them and, and things like that. And you need some preparation. You need to think this through because when a person is dying, they start to dehydrate. They take in less fluids and less nutrition and they're not hydrated and they get kind of a grayish color. And oftentimes they're not conversive. So that's really hard to deal with. And you may not be able to meet the medical needs of that person just from lack of insurance or, you know, you can't send them to a care community. You can't send them to a hospital. You've got to keep them at home. And we wonder about our own ability to manage that person's pain. And if you can, at least try to talk to a doctor, call a hotline, you know, the Internet does everything these days. Uh, try to talk to somebody and kind of have them walk you through what you should do. Utilize their insight and their advice to try and help you. Because if you're having friction with your family members, um, people aren't mending fences, you're not working these things out, um, you get a little bit more mad when you recognize that the person doesn't recognize you or other family members do. Sometimes it's good to talk to people that have already been down that road. They've lost a person to Alzheimer's and ask them what it was like for you, for them. What happened? How did they create a connection somehow with the person who was dying? Did they visit a lot? Were they in the room with them? Did they sleep with the person? Um, did they have feelings of helplessness, not being able to help the person with whatever problems they were having? Um, you know, we can't always do it all. We can't always find the answers. We can't always know exactly what works in certain situations. And if you're a professional in this area, it doesn't make it any easier for you, really, when it's a person that you know. The best you can do is try to make their last time on earth joyful, peaceful. You know, make their their surroundings loving. If they're, un if they're unaware of where they are and things like that, that doesn't mean they can't hear you. So watch what you say in front of them. Because they may hear every word you say. So talk to them about things they did in their life that were just really beautiful. The way they interacted with people, the integrity they had. Integrity is all about doing kind things for other people when nobody's watching. Note the things that they did for others in their life 
that were good. If you really liked that person, you were close to them, talk about, you know, how blessed you were to have each other in your life. If you're a believer, talk about going home to visit God. And even if they're completely out of it, they look almost comatose, they can hear what you say. Sing to them. See if you get a little twitch of the hand, if you get a little flutter of the eyelash. You know, those kinds of things. And people sometimes just don't want to say goodbye. They don't want the end to come. Even if the person has had a long bout, there are other people who just can't wait for it to give, get be over. They, they sort of wish that the good Lord would come and take their person. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you for thinking that way. This is a long, drawn-out, progressive disease. We get tired. We don't want to see them suffer anymore. We don't like it when they can't recognize us. We don't like it when they forget how to swallow. You know, these things last for freaking ever. But if you can tell that person how much you love them, get things off your chest, make things right that were wrong. You know, work on as best you can having that goodbye be something that is relaxing and thanking them for everything that they have done. Take their hand and tell them that you love them. Tell them that you're going to be okay. It's okay for you to go. We're going to be all right. Being able to get that goodbye out is precious. And sometimes we see them starting to have more gasp for air. We we feel them more twitching, um, reaching out for our hands, trying to open their eyes. It's a slow process. It's a slow process that that last couple of days. But saying, we got this, we're, we're going to be okay, we're going to be fine, singing to them, playing music to them, telling them how much they've meant to you, talking about the good times that you've shared. That is one of the sweetest, kindest ways to do that. And watch for pain. If they are in a place like that, where they are not moving, you're having to roll them over to keep them from getting bed sores, they're not taking in any water to speak of, they're not eating any food anymore. You know, we don't want to play God, but I'm serious. Look for signs of pain, and if they are grimacing in any way, shape, or form, ask for some pain medication and let, it, let them go peacefully. 
Just let them go peacefully. And sometimes you can't say what you need to say when they're in that dying process because we're just not able to do it. Maybe you have to say it after they're gone. Maybe you have to say goodbye when they're gone. You know, the things that you say to somebody when they're leaving the world makes all the difference in the world. And if you can be there for that person, if you can hold that person in esteem, if you can talk them through leaving this earth, it's such a wonderful process. So if that person ever said anything to you during the disease process that made you angry, let it go. Don't focus on it. We've told you all along that it's a disease process, you know, that makes people say mean things, that makes them act mean. When they get to a point where they're actually dying, chances are they're going to be much more sedate and easier to deal with. If they recognize you as someone else other than the person that that you are, just go with it. You don't need to be right. Just agree with them. If they think you're the preacher, if they think you're their mom or dad or something, just talk to them like you would if you were. If you've got that innately inside of you, talk to them that way. Don't be afraid to let your feelings out with them or with other people. If you need to, call a helpline like the Alzheimer's helpline and talk it out. Talk out the feelings that you have about that person dying. Talk about the things they did in their life that really pissed you off. Think about the times that the disease made it hard for you to manage and talk all those things out with somebody maybe besides that person. Because watching them die is hard enough. Going through the actual process of them slowly breaking down in their body to have everything not working anymore is hard enough. It is really hard to watch someone die. And we do a lot of that grieving before they leave. And sometimes that can make us feel very secure, but maybe guilty that did we not love them enough? Did we show it enough? Did we say what we wanted to say? Did we take the time? To do more research, did we make their life better? Did we learn enough about the disease to make it easier for them? Oh, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas can eat you alive. Why did we put them in a care community that we didn't fully research and understand that they were task-centered, not person-centered? Um, what if we, you know, look at that person and just think, 
oh my God, I don't want this to happen to me. So we didn't spend as much time with them while they were dying. All these scenarios come into play. Everything's been done before you. You're not the first to have ever felt this way. You certainly will not be the last. But try as best you can to remember that person before they got to a bad place, before they didn't recognize you. And if they were ever mean, if they ever accused you of being a thief, if they ever um, called you names, if, if they did anything like that, just remind yourself to let that go. You can use vehicles for that. Like there are, uh, I've been to things where you could um, use a tin can or some kind of a urn kind of thing where you can write a thought down about how you felt about someone or something in your life. And then you burn that piece of paper and you put it in that pot. If you need to go that direction, there's no perfect answer to any of this. It's a crazy, surreal experience. Sometimes they're lucid. Sometimes they're not. There's times when we thought that they were manipulating us. They probably weren't, but we feel that way. You know? Those kind of things are really great for catching a piece of paper on fire that you wrote it on and throwing it in a pot and letting it go. Celebrate the things you did about having a better understanding about where they were. Celebrate the time you didn't get mad when they were rummaging through drawers and got everything everywhere. Celebrate the times that you just answered the question they've asked you five times before in the last 10 minutes. Celebrate the way you learned how to not be angry that you didn't let them hurt your feelings because you recognized that it was the disease process and not that person. And there are support groups that can help you. I have lots of support groups. I have three that I facilitate, two for Alzheimer's and one for and other dementias and one for FTD specifically so that people can grieve, so they can get all this stuff out. So they can utilize the advice of other people in those groups and not have to try and reinvent the wheel to open up lines of communication. And just to establish some support for themselves so that they're feeling better about what's happening. Support groups are great. Educating yourself is great. Understanding Palliative care versus comfort care is great. When do we stop trying to make the person better when they're never going to get better? And when do we bring in hospice? And who is benefiting from the hospice? The minute somebody mentions hospice to you, ask for a hospice counselor to walk you through the death process. And even though you know it's coming, you may not be prepared. So if you see the person 
not eating, if you see them sleeping a lot, that's the time to make sure that you have every plan you needed in place, the memorial service, um, how you're going to walk them through the death process, um, understand that the power of attorney stops the minute the person dies and their house ownership and all those things are going to go through probate. You may suddenly find that they were dramatically in debt, which you had no idea. Um, now you've got to figure out how you're going to pay that. Uh, these kind of things happen to everybody. And people say it is just super hard to figure it all out. It's very hard to go through those processes. It's hard to get the the uh, death certificate and things like that. So kind of put yourself in a scenario where you say, I'm going to pretend today like my person has just died and try to figure out what I need to know. Where are their bank accounts? Where are their mortgage uh, being held? And things like that. Okay? Don't let it overwhelm you. Just figure out what you need to do to get things done. Do what you can. Let people know. Cry when you need to. Stay busy when you need to. Utilize all the things I've talked about. Music, language, sounds, smells, things like that. And you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But talk about it. Figure out what you need to do. Don't leave yourself at a deficit so that when that person actually does die, you're just so completely overwhelmed that you can't handle it. And one of the weirdest things, the last thing I want to talk about is how somebody rallies and then they decline and then they rally and they decline. And we have this happen over and over and we can be angry about that, but don't be angry at the person. It's not their fault. They just ne might need you to say it's okay for them to go. They may need to have people come in and say goodbye to them before they're ready. And let other people help you when you're in this situation. Don't try to do it alone. Well, there you have it, friends. I hope that gave you a little bit of help. I've received so many questions about this recently, it, just over, over this week, and was kind of shocked that so many people were so unprepared, even so late in the ballgame. Um, but it isn't like we just pick up a book and it gives us a how-to uh, to do any of this, to to work with it from the day you get the diagnosis, to work on the symptoms throughout the process, and then finally to take them home to when they die. It doesn't have to be completely sad. It doesn't have to be completely full of grief. You can do things to make that person's process better. And if you have that in your capability, for God's sakes, do it. Celebrate them the last few weeks the way they celebrated life so that you feel better about this whole nasty, horrible situation of dying with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or Lewy body. All right, folks, I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. 
To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.